Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a global original podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Oh, I feel like I need to do that a little bit more chatty. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. It's more like it. <laughs> coming up, what's it coming up on today's show? I mean, this is bloody exciting. We are, it's a Back to the Future special because we have got an exclusive interview with the writer of Back to the Future, Bob Gale. Insane! I mean, this is just... I, the whole story behind this is is just amazing. So basically, I went to see Back to the Future, the musical, and unbeknown to me, I was sat next to Bob Gale. Okay, so that's kind of where this all started. And then um, I said, look, we should get you on the podcast. We've got Bob on the podcast, and we talk about Back to the Future, the musical, and we talk about Back to the Future. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, let's have a quick catch up. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I mean, this week has been quite revolutionary in Al's world. Why? Because I've realised that I've hit a point in my life that I'm so lazy, I now prefer to sit down when having a wee. Oh, you do the sit down wee. Now, I, I only ever do a sit down wee at night because it's 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 quieter. So, because if you have a sit down wee at night... Then, and also let me just explain why. So we've got two toilets in our house. One is in Noah's room, which is where I'm recording this podcast right now because I've been kicked out of the home studio that I made because Charlie uses it now for work. Um, but her work is far more important than mine. And we have a toilet downstairs. <laughs> but on the bedroom, right, so our bedroom is on, the, we, we've got like a loft conversion. So we're on the, the yeah. second, no, the first floor. So if I go up to Noah's room and have a wee, I've got a creep up and we've got like an old Victorian house. So the floorboards are really creaky. So I've got a creep yeah. up then I've got a creep into Noah's room, go into to his toilet so instead of standing up and making it sound like Niagara Falls sit down I've got to sit down but then I've got I've got to touch my willy and direct it so it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> hit the water it hits the side <laughs> that's what I've got to do to have oh, a sit down awful. Yeah, touching your willy I mean that's the worst bit of this whole story <laughs> not like that Al. <laughs> no one wants seriously, to do that seriously <laughs> so you, you've now decided that you want to be yeah, prefer sit down wheeze Every time now, it's just, you can it just get a few seconds of sitting down is lovely. You are constantly on the go. So I, I hear that. Well, we're both, we're both constantly on the go. Yeah. And I think you're right. Sometimes, look, look, I can go into the toilet. I don't need to be in there for 20 minutes, but it's just a relaxing time for me. I choose yeah. to do that. Yeah. Also, the splashback is, is like non-existent. Yeah. You don't get feedback for that, which is good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think everyone wins. 
to be honest. I don't know why it's not a thing. So from now on, when when like Jen, your missus, or, or Charlie, my, my missus, says to me now that, you know, oh, it's right for you guys. You can just stand up and have a wee. You can go wherever you want to go. You don't have to sit or crouch or that sort of stuff. But no, you've actually, you've got it right. No, 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 no. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, so yeah, you know, it could be, I think it, it's either just from exhaustion or it's just laziness or a bit of both. Um, so that's that's my week. <laughs> it's been a crazy what one. What about you? It's, well, well, obviously there's the whole, uh, whilst we're recording this, it's the, the fuel shortage where everyone is panic buying, uh, mainly down to our government. But I, I, I saw I saw something the other day and it made No, me, it's mainly down to the media. Well, I don't know. I, I think that the People government... People like you on the radio. Shut up. The government could be handling this a whole <laughs> lot better. There's also a conspiracy theory that we, since the pandemic, we had a lot of a lot of fuel in storage, which is soon to be out of date. So how do you make sure fuel goes quickly? How do you do that? Well, you just mm. do a bit of a short... Conspiracy theory, I know, but I'm just putting it out there. But then this, this makes me think, all right, so if, if, if I say this to you do you start to get worried or is this just me and this this podcast is nothing to do with the government it's not political it's not about conspiracy theories but the more and more that things go on the more and more i start to think so let's think about this right gas energy shortages yeah food shortages cement shortages petrol shortages okay skyrocketing prices on building material sacking healthcare staff for declining the job yeah mass printing of money bizarre inflation rates banks becoming landlords small businesses collapsing are you, are you getting it yet i saw that the other day and i thought yeah this like the banks becoming landlords that was something for me that i was like whoa the next step just it, look it, it, I, search something called the great reset that's all i'm going to say to you okay oh, so yeah, search yeah, okay, search, yeah. search that and then see what you think but i'm not yeah. i'm not comfortable with this world at the moment if i'm no. if i'm truly honest no it's i think it's a bit let's travel back to the future well <laughs> we need to you know bob gale got it right when he was a uh, when he you know when he re- he wrote back to the future oh, let's just go back in time i know that yeah. you know the grass is always greener all that sort of stuff but right now yeah i'd happily go anywhere else in time than just be here yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, so. I mean, I, I I do agree without wanting to be too much of a doomsdayer and um, you know, being too negative. I do think that the world is groaning under mm. the pressure from somewhere. Like some, I don't know, something's not right. I don't. Know. I think I always think there's something underlying. You know, the media control so much of the narrative of our day-to-day lives. Mm. Um, and, you know, someone's pulling, someone's pulling the strings, like, surely. Look, you, look, I work in media. Technically, you do as well, because we're doing this podcast. But the thing is, right, if you, if, you, if you say something, you know, on TV, you know, on the radio, whatever it is, if you say, look, there's going to be fuel shortages, there's going to be this, there's going to be that, well, it's going to start, pan- you know, there is going to be a slight panic. If you didn't say that, well, it's non-existent, isn't it? So, yeah, no, I hear. But okay, so but I tell you who has come to the rescue is is Bond. James Bond has come to the rescue. Yeah, uh, No Time to Die uh, is released today. So it, we're recording this on the thirtieth. So I think it's yeah. released today. Um, I got to see the screening, which was incredible. I may have missed the last twenty four minutes. 
because I had to catch my train. <laughs> so right. take this review with a with a pinch of salt. But you've look, you've got to watch it. It's Daniel Craig's final outing. It is everything that is Bond that you want. The scenery is phenomenal. The cinematography is incredible. Uh, the cars are amazing. All the action, you know, the planes, the underwater plane, everything like this. The, the, the villain, actually, another no, villain. I wasn't. I Rami Malek. I wasn't. I wasn't impressed. No. No. Okay, I've got two questions. Yep. One is an underwater plane, a submarine. You'll see when you see the film. And two, um, wait, is it? It's a twelve A, right? Can I take Ted? Do you think it's appropriate no. to take Ted? No, I wouldn't. All oh, right, okay. I personally wouldn't. Oh, right. You know, there are some swear words in there, and I just don't. Oh, that's fine. I took him to Arsenal, and the other day yeah. he repeated something. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. It wasn't a swear word, but it was. A, a very inappropriate thing for an eight-year-old to say. Look, I'm one of those parents that I, I, my dad let me do anything I wanted to, whatever age it was, I could do anything I want. You know, I got freedom, but I'm one of those parents that you don't really need to, I don't think you need to take your kid. You know, if they're not 12, you don't need to take him. You just don't. So um, what I will say about the Bond film though, is that the female cast and and let, there's Bond and then they're like three main female characters and they were incredible. Anna de Armis only has a short time on screen but she was the standout for me. She was incredible. Really? The new 007 as well who is who is a woman and it's there's some really funny bits between them. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge who wrote Fleabag wrote this as well. You can see the comedy coming in. You've got to watch it. You have to watch it. It is a great great film but this is my thought. I think we're ready for a new Bond. I think we're ready for a new style. And I am Daniel Craig's biggest fan. Biggest, huge fan. I think it's time for a change. But do you think that change should be a woman? No, I don't. No, no. But I can see what they're doing. I can see that, like I said, there was a real strong female cast. And this isn't this isn't supporting. Yes, James Bond is the main character, but all of these characters individually were phenomenal. And you can see where it's heading. I can't say much more because you, you'll get to hear, you're, when you see the storyline, you can see where it's probably going to head. And does that make way for a female Bond? Potentially. That's all, no. I, that's all I'll say. But, no. how, but however, okay, Yes, you've got to watch it and watch it at the cinema. But I think um, I think the next Bond, who is, let's face it, it's going to be Tom Hardy, isn't it? It's going to be. Tom Hardy would be fantastic. No, I mean, everyone talks about Idris Elba, I who don't I think, don't actually like. I don't think Idris, I love Idris. I think, you know, you know Luther, one of my favourite shows. But I just, I think what they're going to go for next, I can just see it being Tom Hardy. I just can't. I'm probably wrong. Well, but maybe they're trying to tap into the female market with him. Well, it's it, but again, it is fantastic. Granted, take this review with a pinch of salt. I didn't see the last twenty-four minutes. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. So I had yeah. to catch my could, last train. Could go downhill quite a lot there. Well, the thing was when you were, I, we were watching a screening when the premiere was going on, and we have to wait for the premiere to start before the screening starts. So that's the way it works. So that's why we're just waiting around, like getting drunk. It's got to be like at least a quarter of the film, if not a third. It, it, twenty-four minutes. Look, I left at I think it was I left at ten to eleven. My train was at eleven oh four and the film finished at 10 past 11. So I, I probably missed about 20 minutes. So that's all. But, 
but um but from what you know it's it's it, every, everything about bond you love you will love this so yeah okay cool i i actually don't really like any of the bonds past goldeneye to be honest uh casino royale was amazing and i think that's why I i'm mean, sa- look why, why i'm saying we need a new bond and a new style because when daniel craig came on the scene and casino royale was was in like that was the best change for bond ever daniel craig is the best bond there is no doubt about it oh no no oh, yes on, he's true to okay, the bond he's here. true to bond but we're ready for that next revamp like casino royale was when we had the last revamp that's what i'm saying see for me from Goldeneye, they all just became good films they did not become good bond films i think bond ended realistically like that real true book bond that was portrayed in the first 17 movies with Sean Connery and Roger Moore and whatever else. Timothy Dalton wasn't that great. But that, that was, you know, it, the smooth, it, it just got, it just got a bit ridiculous. That, that's, that's all that happened. And, and it was a great, they're great films. They are great films. I love them, but they're just not great Bond films. Interesting. Well, this is what I love about Bond. Everyone has got a different opinion, you know, on who was the best Bond, yeah. you know, which Any, which anyway. was the best film. But anyway, so let's go from we Bond. Should, we should do a Bond special, but this is a Black, Back to the Future. <laughs> this is back, I know, exactly. <laughs> right. So um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to chat to Bob Gale. So Bob Gale is the, he's basically the, the, co, the co-creator, co-producer um, and co-writer of Back to the Future. All right. So you're going to hear all about this. Um, let me tell you a bit about Bob Gale. Um, he's also written for comics, including Marvel Comics, uh, Ant-Man's Big Christmas, DC Comics, Batman. So he is quite legendary. And uh, look, we talk about Steven Spielberg. We talk about the story of the DeLorean. Uh, we talk about why Disney didn't take Back to the Future. We talk about uh, Crispin Glover, who plays George McFly. I think he was only he was only um the only one not in the trilogy there's a brilliant story about michael j fox at the premiere we talk about the back to the future musical with roger bart and ollie dobson who were the main characters marty and doc brown look it's just fantastic if you're a back to the future fan sit back and enjoy as we chat to the legend that is bob gale So then, uh, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, producer, director, co-creator, co-writer, and co-producer of Back to the Future. I probably could go on. Uh, here's Bob Gale. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be here with you. Oh, it's lovely to see you again. So um, last time we saw each other was probably about two, three weeks ago when I'm I'm there at the Adelphi Theatre, um, just off the Strand in London, and I'm going to see Back to the Future, the musical, for the very first time. I'm in the bar and there are two girls behind the bar that are saying, oh, oh it's, what a night it is. Um, Bob's just been to the bar. He asked for whatever you asked for. I mean, and they, you could see that they were sort of on edge, excited and everything like that. And I'm thinking, who's this Bob they're talking about? What, 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 are, they, what, are, what are they going on about? So I take my seat with my wife, Charlie. And then I, 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 behind me, I see someone being ushered to their seat. And I'm thinking there's a seat spare next to me. And then who sits next to me? No pressure. It's you, Bob. <laughs> well, you and Charlie both laughed really loud. Oh. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I assume that was 
not for my benefit, but because it's funny. It is <laughs> funny. Look, this is such an amazing musical, and we'll come we'll come on to the musical later. But um, I think we 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 need to go to Back to the Future first of all, obviously. And um, now, of course, you were known. Uh, you were one Bob. There were two Bobs. Uh, so Bob, this is Bob Gale, who I'm speaking to. Then there's Rob Zemeckis as well. Now, you guys came up with with Back to the Future. That's right. That's right. I found my father's high school yearbook while visiting my parents in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown. Uh, this was in the summer of 1980. I'd never seen my father's high school yearbook. I attended the same high school that he did 29 years later. So I thought to myself, oh, this will be cool. Let's take a look at what my high school looked like in 1940. And <clears throat> lo and behold, my it turns out my father had been the president of his graduating class. Uh, totally unknown to me. And I looked at this picture, this very straight and proper young man, and thought to myself, gee, uh, I wouldn't have anything to do with the president of my class. Uh, was my father one of these rah-rah school spirit kind of guys who I couldn't stand? And that was when the proverbial lightning bolt struck me. Yes. And yes. I said, okay, that's a good story. A kid ends up going to high school with his future father. And I came back to California and I told that idea to Bob Zemeckis uh, and he was totally enthusiastic and said, yeah, wouldn't it be great if, if, uh, if, if his mom went to the same high school and all the stuff that your parents tell you that they never did, that's what they actually did. Um, and it just snowballed from there. And I, I think the thing with, with Back to the Future is um, the, the characters are so relatable. It's it's kind of what you want from Family Dreams, isn't it? And I think that's what I why this film also is just so perfect for a family audience. It is it is living the family dream. Absolutely, absolutely. And what person on earth hasn't wondered about what did my parents do on their first date? What were my parents like when they were children? Um, at, at a certain point, and I think it's usually somewhere around seven or eight years old, when a child finally understands, good Lord, my these adults, these godlike figures, they were actually um, goofy kids just like me, and their clothes didn't fit, and they fumbled, and they fell down, and all these things, um, and that's a pretty cosmic, pretty cosmic thing for for a child to absorb. And that, of course, is what the movie captures so well. Uh, and I think that's one reason why uh, it's had the longevity that it has, because you get to see that and you get to see two different versions of what happens to a family um, based on the type of behavior that you have when you're young. But it wasn't an easy ride for Back to the Future, was it? Because, we, you know, we, we obviously know that look, 1985, 1989, 1990, fantastic films. And, and can we just point out three films, a trilogy, which each film got better and better. And that doesn't usually happen. You know, I think I said to you when I spoke to you on the, on the night when we watched the musical, I said, look, Karate Kid I loved. However, two was a dud. <laughs> if we're absolutely honest, two was a dud. So that's rare in itself. But the script was rejected numerous times, wasn't it? It was. And at the time, time travel movies had, had never made uh, much money. So time travel was kind of, uh, we don't know if we want to do a time travel movie. And it was, uh, it did have this family aspect to it. And movies like Porky's and Stripes were coming out around that time. 
that are raunchy comedies. And the studios were saying, well, that's not the kind of comedy that people want to see. And everybody kept telling us to go take it to Disney. Um, so we did take it to Disney, actually. And yeah, it's a good story. <laughs> yeah, no, no, tell the story. The story is brilliant. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we submitted to Disney and we take the meeting with an executive over there. And we walk into his office and he looks at us. He says, are you guys out of your minds submitting a project like this to Disney? This is a movie about incest. The kid <laughs> and his mother in the car. We can't do that. We're Disney. We're clean. So that was the end of that. And uh, maybe Disney regrets it today. It was a different Disney, of course, back in back in the 1980s. And uh, whatever, the story has certainly had a happy ending. And, uh, you know, whatever the trials and tribulations were that got us here, um, they were necessary. Was it around about 40 times that the script was rejected? Yeah, we're never sure whether there was 42 or 44. And, you know, one thing people say, well, Bob, do you go back in time and change anything? Probably I would have kept all those rejection letters because once, once Bob and I had the movie made, we said, all right, we're burning these or <laughs> destroying them. Or we, uh, and I wish I'd, I wish now I wish I would have kept them, but. <laughs> and of course, um, Steven Spielberg was, a, was a very good friend of yours. Steven came on the scene. Now, um, the obvious thing to do would be to get Steven to direct it or something like that. But that wasn't the case, was it? Well, Bob Zemeckis is a director and Steven executive produced our first two movies. Um, I want to hold your hand and used cars, both of which Bob directed. So, you know, Steven absolutely respects the, uh, you know, director, uh, proprietary creativity and so forth. You know, he's, he's not the kind of guy that is going to try to take something away from, especially from somebody like Bob Zemeckis, who, who he helped mentor and, and, and get going. So uh, Stephen always knew that this was something that, that, that Bob Zemeckis wanted to direct. And um, he, he actually always believed in, in the project. And it turned out fortuitously for us that after he made E.T., uh, he set up his new Amblin Entertainment uh, company at Universal. And we were the first Amblin Entertainment movie, if I recollect correctly. Now let's talk about the characters because, as we know, there were when it comes to you know casting this sort of this sort of movie, there are always going to be various options, and I think we all know that that Michael J. Fox was he wasn't the original Martin McFly, and and he was tied to Family Ties. He was yes, he was our very first choice, and we went to the producer Family Ties, and he said, "Guys, the script is so good, I'm not even going to let Michael read it because he will hate me." or telling him I can't let him out of the show to do it. So we understood that and, and just, you know, we said, okay, well, that's, uh, that's one of those things. Um, and uh, again, you know, life has so much irony, randomness and serendipity. Um, it turns out that the bad casting choice that we made uh, by choosing Eric Stoltz uh, turns out to be the reason that we eventually got Michael J. Fox in the movie Ultimately, so things that you think are going wrong, they maybe maybe it's for the best, and it turns out that uh, in the long view, it was good. And Jeff Goldblum was was he considered for the role of Doc Brown? Yes, yeah, yeah. There were three final candidates for for Doc Brown, uh, Christopher Lloyd, of course, Jeff Goldblum, and John Lithgow. Uh, Lithgow was not available. Uh, we had a meeting with Jeff Goldblum. We liked him a lot. I think he would have been great as Doc Brown. 
In fact, he played Doc Brown in Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you look at it like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Christopher just had some, some sort of magical uh, special quality that we just said, Hey, it's gotta be this guy. And you couldn't have recreated that, but it, when, when you see him on, you know, on screen, you know, that, that is doc. Well, again, this is, this is the miracle of good casting uh, married with good writing is when, an actor can make the role so totally their own that you can't envision anybody else in it. And yet we have Roger Bart playing Doc Brown on stage and nobody has a problem with that. They say, oh my God, this guy is fantastic. Roger Bart blew me away. I mean, his his presence, his comedy timing. Oh, he is amazing. The, the, the stories that I love to hear about, I, I believe unlike, uh, unlike his character Biff, so Thomas Wilson, he was, was he the one that's getting a little bit roughed up on the on set when you were filming Back to the Future? Is that correct? Well, yeah, not from, not, that was, that was when Eric Stoltz was playing Marty. Um, Eric was a quote unquote method actor. Uh, he made everybody call him Marty all the time. Ah. He had to wear his clothes home uh, every night. And so he was just trying to so immerse himself in the role that when he was supposed to strike Biff, um, he actually hit him. And um, that did not go down well with Tom. And uh, Tom, Tom found a moment to, uh, back, shall we say. Ah, that did not happen with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Never. And Huey Lewis wrote two songs for the movie, didn't he? But um, I, I, you almost didn't get Huey Lewis to do to do the songs. Is that? Did he say something along the lines of that? I just, I don't know how to do a song for a film. Yeah, he, we, we went to Huey because, uh, you know, we were, we were, Bob and I were both big fans. Bob was really kind of leading the charge on that one. And um uh, Huey said, well, guys, you know, uh, it's an interesting story and script, but I really don't know how to write a song for a movie. We just said, Hey, you don't have to know how to do anything. Um, just write, just write the best song that you got that you can. Um, and he said, you know, back to the future. He said, nothing rhymes with future. <laughs> um, <laughs> True. We, uh, which, which, yeah, which Al and Al Sylvester and Glenn Ballard were up against that too. <laughs> when they wrote this, the music, the songs, but Huey was working on power of love at the, at the same time. He said, well, I'm working on this song. Let me send it to you and see what you like, see if you like it. And uh, we loved it. And we said, yeah, we will put this in the movie. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't have the, the song doesn't have to be called back to the future. And, uh, I think Huey was so excited that we were so enthusiastic about it. He said, well, you know, I got another idea. Maybe, maybe a song called back in time will work. So he wrote this second song, which is, you know, it, it's almost an anthem, uh, for, for the movie. Uh, certainly, um, the audience treats it that way at the end of the musical. Yeah. Uh, it's how we send people out both of the movie and, uh, and the musical, uh, bop into that song. And it's, it's just great. So yeah, Huey was, Huey was fantastic to work with. Uh, he was very collaborative, but you know, we just basically of, of the, of the management mentality, you hire the best people that you can find and then you let them do their job. Yeah, just get out yeah. of the way. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, the DeLorean wasn't the first choice, which I, I know right now people listening to this have got that da 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 moment, but it, it wasn't, was it? Well, originally, Doc built a time machine out of a refrigerator. Yeah, and he carried it around the back of a pickup truck, 
And in summer of 1984, when we were finally in, um, in pre-production on the movie, um, Bob Zemeckis comes in the office one day and says, hey, Bob, uh, there's a lot of logistics involved in putting this refrigerator on the back of the truck, taking it off, moving it around. Wouldn't Doc Brown have been smart enough to have built a time machine into a car? And I said, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense, uh, both creatively and as a producer, uh, you know, for, for ease of production. And it turned out that John DeLorean was on trial uh, in the United States for that cocaine thing. Oh my, that, um, I, I mean, that is a whole thing. I watched the Myth Mogul documentary on Netflix. I had no idea that was coming at the end. I didn't really know anything about John DeLorean, but oh, what? Really? Whoa. Of course he was acquitted because it was, it was a complete sting. Mm. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a frame up and there's actually an interesting conspiracy theory about that. Uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but since uh, we all love conspiracy theories, supposedly uh, Margaret Thatcher was uh, very upset that all the money that the British government gave to the DeLorean Motor Company uh, in hopes of making this new Northern Ireland uh, factory uh, a reality and so forth, it was never going to get paid back. So the, the story goes that she asked Ronald Reagan to see if the U.S. government could nail John DeLorean on some kind of a charge. Wow. Um, we'll never know. Were Ford Mustang interested in the, the, the role of the, the time machine? Well, the, the story about that is that we had a product placement guy. Uh, his job was to find uh, deals, uh, companies to put their, put their brands in the movie for which he would get money, which he would split with the production. So he came into my office one day and he said, Hey, Bob, I've got, uh, I've got a huge deal for you. It's going to mean $75,000 to the production, which was equivalent to a day and a half of shooting. So that's certainly going to get my attention. He said, if you will just change the DeLorean to a Mustang Ford motor company will pay that kind of money for representation. Um, since this is a family show, I will not, specifically relate my response to him, but that was totally out of the question. And uh, I made him understand that in no uncertain terms uh, and threw him out of my office. And that subject never came up again. I love the story about Michael J. Fox at um, the premiere. And I think it was the empire and a bit like me, actually, when I went to see back to the future, the musical, Michael J. Fox found himself with a seat empty next to him. Can you remember who sat next to Michael J. Fox on that night? Yeah, it was Princess Diana. It was. And uh, uh, I remember Michael saying that uh, he had to go to the bathroom, something terrible. And he knew that he could not get up if he was sitting next to... I had that with you. (laughs) Do you remember? Literally, we were five minutes away from the from the end of the from first the half. One, that's right. And yeah, I turned yeah, to you and I yeah. said, Bob, I've got up. My yeah, prostate's yeah, not great I, anymore. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm 46 yeah. years old. I've got to go. I'm so sorry, Bob. I'm so sorry. My wife, Charlie's going, you cannot get up to the toilet. Bob Gale is sat right next to you. <laughs> I was like, I've got a baby, well, babe. I've got to. Better, better that you did that than uh, do it in your sleep. <laughs> oh, honestly, I was like, oh, I felt I felt so bad. But yes. I'm 70 years old. I know all about prostate <laughs> Thank you.
look, we could we could talk about the movie there, and this is what I love about Back to the Future. It's not just about one movie. It's not just about three movies. It's about it's about history. There's so much behind it. The love for this film still continues. Why don't we just take this to the stage? The the, the germ of the idea came from Bob Zemeckis' wife Leslie in 2005 after they saw the producers in New York, and she said to Bob, "Hey, did you guys ever think about turning Back to the Future into a into a stage musical?" And, Bob said, no, but that's not a bad idea. Let me run it by Bob Gale. And uh, he did. And I said, well, that's interesting. I, I don't hate that idea. Uh, let's let it percolate. And I think I finally really got it because I hadn't seen the producers. Uh, it was in New York. I was in L.A. And I wasn't didn't have any plans to go to New York anytime soon. So when I saw the movie of the, of the producers musical, I said, OK, I get it now. I see what more they were able to get out of the original movie by musicalizing it. And that's when I said, let's, to Bob, let's, let's run with this. So in February, 2006, we, Bob and I met with uh, Alan Silvestri and Glenn Ballard. Glenn and Al had done the songs for Polar Express. So Bob said, you know, you're going to love Glenn. He's just really talented. He's really creative. And of course he was right. And uh, we sat down with those guys and, uh, uh, kicked it around and they said, okay, yeah, all right, let's, let's, let's give this a go. And, uh, about a month later, they came back with two songs, uh, only a matter of time and hello, is anybody home? Both of which are still in the, in the show. Yep. We were totally entertained by them. We said, well, if anything, uh, this project is going to entertain us. So that's a good enough reason for us to keep going. <laughs> yeah. So starting in 2006 stops and starts and, but that's how long it took. Again, blessings in disguise, because had we been able to mount the show quickly, the technology that's on display, uh, the stagecraft, it, it wasn't there back then. Uh, Ten years ago, 80% of this stuff couldn't have been done yep. in terms of making the DeLorean and the clock tower sequence and, 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 and all the great uh, stagecraft. So again, it turns out that it was ready at the right time for it to be ready. Yeah, yeah. And this this show, whatever your your worries are about, if you are a hardcore Back to the Future fan, it's it's a weird one. Like, I've, I've got friends that are massive Back to the Future fans and they're like, I'm not quite sure whether or not I should see it. And I'm, I'm like, guys, I'm the biggest Back to the Future fan. I have been <clears> fortunate <throat> enough to see it. And you have to, because it keeps the dream alive and it takes it even further. And you get there, you sit down like I did, sat next to you thinking... You know, Bob, how the hell are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? This is based on yeah, yeah, a yeah. car that goes 88 miles grabbed, an hour. You grabbed me at the end and you said, you did it. You did you it. absolutely did it. Smashed yeah. it. <laughs> and I did not expect what, what the ending as well. And it's not, it's not, we're not going to spoil it, but you know the film, you know what's going to happen. But in my mind, I was going to go, I was saying, how are they going to do this? And that's what going to see this as a musical is all about because it's, I was blown away. Well, thank you. And for all you Back to the Future fans that are still worried about it, the reason that I'm here was to make sure that, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm one of the parents of Back to the Future, right? Uh, I'm not going to, we, Bob, Bob Zemeckis, Alan and Glenn and I all said, you know what, we will not put this on the stage if it's mediocre. Um, that's good enough that's not in the vocabulary. This has to be great. 
And it has to be back to the future. And as Glenn Ballard kept always saying, we take the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. Um, and, you know, our presence and our involvement is your guarantee that this really is worthy of being called back to the future. And I couldn't be more proud of how this thing turned out. It's just glorious. And I can confirm the commitment when it, when, when what Bob is talking about, because as I was sat next to Bob, I could see you still taking notes. And I know for a fact that was probably, what was that? The 10th, 20th show. I, I, I don't even know what it was. And you are still there taking notes about, okay, well this, that, or this, and that's the commitment to the cause here. You want to have the most spectacular mind blowing thing that you can possibly see on stage and you part with your well-earned money and you will go away having a great night. And that's what you guarantee. Thank you. Yes, that was, that's, that's why we did it. Uh, and that's what we want. We want everybody to be just, and, and they tell us that the, the people at the theater, they say they haven't, they haven't seen a show many of them ever where when, at the end of it, the audience is just kind of bouncing and floating uh, euphorically out of there. And when my wife came over for press night and now she'd seen it in Manchester, of course, and, yeah. but this, this has even more energy than the Manchester Manchester version, you know, she lives, we live in California. Um, and I would call her every, every night before I was going to go to bed, which was inevitably about, you know, one 30 in the morning. And she'd say, what, what time is it? When, what are you still doing up at one 30 in the morning? And after she saw, after she saw, and she saw a couple of performances, she said, okay, I get it. Now it takes you that many hours to come down off of the high that you have I understand why you can't go to sleep right away after after you get home. It's just too it's it's just too much fun. What I loved as well, what I what I was seeing, uh, being you know very fortunate enough to to sit next to you was the amount of love that you get. You know, you are an absolute legend, and I can happily say that there is the the word legend is bounded around too easily for my kind of liking. But you are, and I could see that the fans absolutely adore you and thank you and appreciate what you've created and what you've made with with Rob. And I was your, I think I was your photographer for most of the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, you were. I think I was. You absolutely were. <laughs> but the joy that, that you gave people was was great. Uh, there's one other thing which I, I, I love. So we, we, we earlier talked about um, Roger Bart that plays Doc Brown, who is just incredible. It's, it's worth going just to see that performance. Ollie Dobson plays... Marty. I must say I have been blown away by the talent uh, and ability of the British performers to do American accents and American mannerisms. Um, just, you know, superb, superb acting, superb singing. Um, and there are people, people ask me, well, how many, how many people, how many Americans are in this show? Um, well, there are only two. <laughs> uh, we we have one uh, one guy in the, in the in the ensemble who is and uh, Rosanna Highland who plays Lorraine. Uh, she's Australian, but she was educated in American schools. And do they sound? Does Roger Bart sound like Christopher Lloyd? No, I don't think he really does. But I think that what he is doing is he is creating a version of Doc Brown that is totally consistent, totally believable, totally understandable. Uh, and works for the stage because what Christopher Lloyd does in the movie may not have worked like that on like what Roger does on the stage because when a character sings um, you learn so much more about them 
Uh, and there's a warmth that comes across that with the movie, you're just like, okay, on to the next scene, on the next scene, you know, quickly cut to this, cut to that, cut to that. And in, in the musical, you're able to take a little, take a breath, take, take although this show doesn't, doesn't take it's, many it's, breaths. It's literally <laughs> bang, bang, bang. But the songs, you know, they, they play and, and nobody is, uh, you know, nobody's twitching in their seat because, uh, now that song went on too long or why are we even having this song and so forth? No, we just really wanted to get this thing, uh, into, in, you know, into well-oiled clockwork mechanism, if you will. Very good. Uh, but still with all the, with all the humanity and the heart and the characters and, and, and everything that makes back to the future what it is. It's placed in the most perfect theatre as well. The Adelphi Theatre, it's a very cool theatre. It's it's very, it's sort of art deco, isn't it? It's it's a beautiful setting, it really is. It is, it's, it's, it's terrific. And this was, from the, from the very beginning, after our first workshop, uh, this was the theatre that John Randall, our director, he he really wanted it. He said, of, of all the theatres, this, this would be my first choice. And, you know, who knows, but... You just don't know to quote the barbed wire salesman back to future part three. You never know what the future may bring. It's true. <laughs> Look, I've, I've got to go now and watch back to the future. It's, it's the law. I have to do it. I've just spoken to you. I've got to go and watch it for the 9 million time. I, I think, you know, it's only fair, Bob, it's been amazing to see and chat to you again. And um, the Adelphi theater back to the future, the musical, please, please just go. That's all I'm going to say. It, it, I'm not going to do the big sell because you need it in your life. So just, just go and see it and have a great time. And also what I loved is I, I never quite knew when it was going to end. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> it's lovely chatting. Thank you very much, Bob. Have a safe journey back to California. Okay, I appreciate it. And uh, I will see you in the future. See you in the future. Take care. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Thank you. Take care. I love this quote here, and this is from um, Bob Gale, which I didn't talk about in the interview. And the quote was, um, he was talking about Back to the Future, and he's put, um, I don't know that part one was necessarily hugely cutting edge. It was a very good melding of mechanical effects where you can't tell where one ends and one and one other begins. So we're proud of that. This was way before we had computers or anything digital to do this stuff. It holds up really well. And it's probably the best time machine film ever made. And I could not agree more. I'm going to level with you. Before you told me that you'd interviewed Bob Gale, I hadn't actually seen the movies in their entirety. I know. I have now, and even though the first one is older than I am, (laughs) (laughs) they're really good. And now I'm going to go back and watch them with Ted. They stand the test of time. Mm. It's just a great story. And as he said in that interview, who doesn't want to go back to see what their parents were doing at school? It's, mm. I mean... Well, yeah, but then when your mum fancies you, <laughs> that's, that's the problem. And then that's why Disney didn't take it. Like, Disney saying, um, no, this film is about incest. We don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess a little bit. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, so we'll be back next Wednesday. In the meantime, uh, dadsnet.com uh, for anything that is dad-related. Uh, you do the next bit. Yeah, make sure you rate, download, subscribe, follow, uh, follow us on social media at the Dad's Net at JK Jason King. 